It's October the 9th, 2020. This is the Room Now podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Jack Bush, executive editor of RoomNow.com. This week, the consequences of COVID, bad disease and bad outcomes, bad news. And what do you call that punched out, gouty x-ray change? I've got a name. Actually, I've got several names. We're going to start out with COVID news. Uh, an interesting study came out this week that compares COVID to influenza. And it actually uses large population-based data. Six months of COVID data versus one year of influenza data from Korea, Spain, and the United States. So they compared 34,000 COVID patients to 84,000 influenza patients. They basically showed that COVID-19 patients were more likely to be younger, male, and have fewer comorbidities and basically take less medications than do patients with the flu. Again, we know the death rates are high. We know that the consequences of COVID compared to flu are it's either seven times more prevalent or 14 times more prevalent, depending on who you look at. And certainly the death rates are more disastrous, but this shows you the sort of the clinical profile. And it fits with what we said last week in that Yes, early on in COVID, there were a lot of elderly people, and those were the ones who were dying. Now that we're six months into it, the ones who are being hospitalized are in the 20 to 29 age group. That kind of fits with this data. Uh, another study came out this week on the heels of the president getting dexamethasone and being miraculously cured in the infectious wing of the White House. Uh, steroids can help mortality rates in COVID-19. Seven is meta-analysis, seven randomized trials, 1,700 patients who either received dexamethasone, hydrocortisone, or methylprednisolone, about 700 patients who were compared to about 1,000 patients who received usual care or placebo. They basically showed about one in three patients treated with dexamethasone uh, died, 222 out of 678, versus four out of 10 who died when they got usual care, suggesting about a 10% reduction in overall mortality, and that was significant. In fact, the odds ratio showed about a one-third reduction in overall mortality that was very significant. An interesting UK survey study came out, and I have this idea, I have some data I'm accumulating on the consequences of COVID, you know, the aftermath, if you will, that uh, of the bad things that have happened while we were shutting down, while we were changing, our lifestyles while patients were being cared for or not being cared for. In this large cohort from the UK, almost 700 patients, they actually had survey data um, soon after COVID. And um, they took their survey data about six weeks after COVID started and showed that 53% uh, had self-reported worsening of disease. One third had uh, access problems with their hospital or their clinic, um, yet, 88% were able to get their meds and their refills and all that seemed well, but still of those, about half of them still required help, meaning that they were older people or they seemed to need help with a change in technology in getting their meds to them. So this is one of several examples. You know about patients who are probably not getting their, their cancer care, their bone density uh, treatments or screenings. There, you know, there are a number of things that are happening during COVID that we're going to find out. It's not quite as simple as the lost income and the disruption of our lives. There's a lot of things that are gonna happen as a result of COVID that we're gonna find out in the next few months. That's what happens with lockdown. I, 
found this interesting study, reported it yesterday as a tweet. It's a study of almost 200 patients with axial spondyloarthritis who undergo switching of TNF inhibitors. You know, we tend to love to switch TNF inhibitors. We, if one doesn't work, let's try a second. If that doesn't work, we can try a third. I'm not a big advocate for that. I would say that if you failed one TNF inhibitor, you should often go to another MOA in RA. And the data is pretty clear that in RA, when you start going from first to second to third, you lose efficacy, meaning ACR20, which should be 60, 40, 20 with the first one, becomes 50, 30, 15 with the second, and or maybe even worse. Um, and this is a study showing the same thing in patients with uh, ankylosing spondylitis, actually axial spondyloarthritis. So using the most stringent criteria for outcomes, the ASDAS-ID, you know, I can't keep up with the ASDAS people, the ASAS people who are coming up with new measures all the time. But nonetheless, the most stringent measure of outcomes shows that you're going to do okay if you stay within the TNF class, you switch from first to second, if you're switching for the purposes of a secondary non-response, meaning they once responded, you lost response. You actually don't lose much in the way of response, or if you're switching for adverse events. But when you compare those two reasons for switching to primary non-response, they're way better, seven to nine times better than those who have a primary TNF failure, meaning as soon as you got your first TNF number, you never got better. That's your clue to switch. This works in and applies to, in this case, spondyloarthritis. It also applies to RA. I'm sure it applies the same way with psoriatic arthritis. In fact, there is data to suggest that. A new biologic hit the markets, a new study with an anti-GMCSF monoclonal antibody studied in 22 patients, 22, let's try 222 patients with rheumatoid arthritis. The drug is called Otilimab, Otilimab, O-T-I-L-I-M-A-B. This is in phase, an early phase two trial where they are trying five different doses versus placebo. The drug is given weekly for five weeks and then every other week thereafter. Um, it was a one-year study. Their primary endpoint was at six months. And guess what? At six months, it didn't look good. The five doses were 22, 45, 90, 135, or 180, or placebo. Again, the dose re the, the DAS CRP remission rates, DAS CRP less than 2.6, was like 5%, um, 16%, 19%, 14%, got no better than 14 to 19%. Um, again, you'd sort of like to see an RA somewhere in the range of 30% or higher. So um, this, didn't, this did not meet its primary endpoint. They talked about it with some degree of encouragement, but I look at this data and say, this is a crash and burn. Um, the placebo response rate was 3%. So yes, it was better than placebo, not with the lowest dose. The other doses were better, but I'm not certain what's gonna happen with this anti-GMCSF anti monoclonal antibody. There's an interesting study that came out from the a Greek registry, the, Hel the Hellenic registry. This includes 385 patients. And it showed, it looked at patients who were in remission or L low disease activity state and compared them to those who had moderate disease activity and higher. So patients with worse disease, what happens to them? Well, turns out they actually had 50 to 80% more serious adverse events. That, that's something we've seen over and over again. Patients who have the best response, you know what? They tend to have the least amount of adverse events, especially even serious adverse events. Patients with the worst response, that's where all the serious adverse events, SIEs, cancer, death, 
malignancy, whatever, those occur in people who don't respond well. There's something about efficacy and safety that in fact does go hand in hand. Bad disease, expect bad outcomes. That unfortunately applies um, to many situations. So lupus and lupus cerebritis can present as psychosis. We don't see much psychosis, but it can sort of appear. There was an interesting study that came from one of the psych journals about 476 mental health patients who were admitted to the hospital for psychosis. Did they, could they possibly have lupus? Could they have autoimmune disease? Could they have neuropsychiatric lupus? Well, of the cohort that was tested, it wasn't all 4,700. I think it was, I don't know, three, 400. 19% had an, uh, actually 19% were tested and 135 um, had a positive ANA at a title one to 160 or higher, meaning that 15% of those tested were ANA positive. I can tell you as someone who screened a lot of autoantibody positive results looking for early disease, you find a lot of positive autoantibodies without necessarily having the disease in the psych population. So 15% are ANA positive. To me, I kind of expected that. But of those 135, only four met criteria for lupus. Um, and only two of those four actually had criteria for neuropsychiatric lupus. So you know, de novo, incident, psychosis, could that be the presenting feature of neuropsychiatric lupus? Not a chance, not a chance. When it is, there'll be other many manifestations of lupus. They'll meet criteria real easy. Uh, and yes, neuropsychiatric lupus could be the presentation. But again, psychosis masquerading as lupus is really not likely. So I asked you earlier, you know that scooped out lesion that you see? In gout, um, it's different than RA lesions, which are a little bit of a rat bite on the corner at the articular synovial junction. These are a little bit lower, and they're lucent lesions that have a scooped out appearance. It's got a name. Actually, it was first described by the famous radiologist from University of Michigan, Dr. William Martell. So it's called the Martell sign. It also is called the G sign. Think about it, G or rat bite erosion. I just said the rat bite erosion is what you saw in RA. That's the wrong name. But a G sign I like, the scooped out erosion I like, but now I'm gonna call it the Martell sign after Dr. William Martell. Again, it is a, a, a lesion that is a scooped out lesion with a sclerotic margin and an overhanging edge. Those are the classic features of the gout radiographic change. So what about risk of future damage in spondoarthritis? What better? population to look at than an early spondoarthritis population as found in the DeSeer cohort, 406 patients with axial spondoarthritis, and they were followed over five, five years. They showed that smoking was a risk factor for developing five years later MR evidence of sacred ileitis uh, and MR evidence of, of lumbar disease as well. Turns out that actually this was even higher in blue collar uh, job individuals and those who had low education levels, which is a little bit like what you see with psoriatic arthritis and psoriasis where trauma is a major inciting factor or risk factor for future arthritis. They're suggesting that blue collar jobs or uh, mechanical stress uh, may be um, a risk factor for developing sacroiliitis and spondylitis in these early spondoarthritis patients. An interesting concept. Our last report comes from that Canto study. We've talked about it 
a lot in the past. Remember the Canto study was the canakinumab uh, study looking at its effect as an IL-1 inhibitor in patients who are high-risk cardiac patients who go into the study with an elevated CRP. And it showed that yes, an IL-1 inhibitor is capable of reducing cardiovascular events and cardiovascular death. Other spinoffs from that study, it was a 10,000 patient trial. Again, none of them had to have arthritis getting in. They found that patients who were on canakinumab compared to those who weren't were less likely to have new incident gout. They found they were less likely to have death. They were less likely to have lung cancer. Um, and uh, again, these are all surprising findings. This particular report looks at the risk of future arthroplasty. So a small subset of these people going into the study did have osteoarthritis, but most did not. And they were looking at the risk of a future total hip knee replacement, total hip replacement or total knee replacement. And again, it was comparing placebo-treated patients to those who received one of the five different doses of canakinumab, 50, 150, or 300 every eight weeks. Altogether, those who received canakinumab had a 42% lower risk of developing the need for joint arthroplasty. Um, this does suggest that IL-1 inhibition could be effective therapy, and, but there have been studies looking at uh, IL-1 inhibition in treating osteoarthritis of the hand. Um, again, it might be a cohort, uh, an entry cohort uh, criteria that may give you different results, maybe very early for people who are at high risk but don't yet have you know, grade three or higher um, osteoarthritis of the knee. This is an interesting finding. Anyway, that's it for this week on Room Now um, and our podcast. Go to the, the website to find citations for these reports and more. Again, I want to encourage you to click on Backtalk and present your case or ask me your question. We'll, we'll we will feature that those in future um, editions of the podcast. And lastly, I want you to be on the lookout for all that we're going to be doing for ACR 2020, the virtual meeting. Room Now has got a wild and crazy plan. And what we want you to do is give us two hours and we'll deliver the meeting to you. Uh, it's, going, it's our promise. And we're working hard to make sure that happens. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week.